Good morning, I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready Vacation Bible School friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Yay! Our first scripture lesson today comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Let us prepare to hear God's word by going to God in prayer. Father, we ask you to open our spiritual eyes and ears to show us glimpses of glory we cannot see by ourselves. Without your help, we are simply natural persons with natural eyes and ears, unable to accept the things of the Spirit. Give us the gift of hearing and seeing wondrous things in God's love. Amen. Chapter 19, Elijah has just finished wiping out a slew of the priests of Baal. And that will help you understand some of what's in the Scripture. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went with the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous of the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the word of God from Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. Before faith came, we were guarded under the law, locked up until faith that was coming would be revealed, so that the law became our custodian until Christ, so that we might be made righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants heirs according to the promise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm so grateful for the invitation from your worship team to preach today. The care and organization your office staff and your worship committee demonstrated was magnified when I visited in worship last week and experienced the hospitality and spiritual vitality that is First Presbyterian. I was so impressed by Danny's preaching and his courage and with the exciting and inclusive vision that this congregation shares. So I thank you for welcoming me last week as a visitor and today as your guest preacher. That being said, Jim. Yes. I, yes, ma'am. Ray's right. I learned to parallel park driving a 1969 Fury 3. I haven't experienced that feeling since then. This is the grandest pulpit since my blue 1969 Fury 3. I, I love the centrality of the pulpit in your nave, Presbyterians. What does that say about your preached word? Now, that was a question. <laughs> They're gonna call in from Spring Harbor before y'all answer, aren't they? <laughs> what does that say about the centrality of the preached word? It's central, it's in the middle, that's great. But if that's true, 
What does that say about Donna Dooley and the choir? You folks in the choir have the best view of the congregation. So thank you for your worship leadership. Now behave. <laughs> Perhaps you read in the Ledger Inquirer this past week an article about a Mr. Brian Dawkins. I was not familiar with the work of Mr. Dawkins who was a Hall of Fame safety for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was famous for his menacing defense and was known as Weapon X, or, or maybe Weapon 10. I, I'm not sure if it was a Roman numeral or what, when he played. Now, I don't know a lot about football, so I had to Google all that stuff. He was, apparently, a really big deal almost as big a deal as Elijah the prophet. Our Old Testament reading this morning immediately follows one of the most astonishing victories over paganism in the, in the Bible. Elijah completely vanquished the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, where Sid and Becky, we stood not so long ago, and happy anniversary, guys. Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, demonstrating that God and God alone was the Lord of all creation and of Israel. When Ahab hears about it, he runs to Jezebel, demonstrating that she's the one who wears the harem pants in that family. She says, May the gods do whatever they want to me by this time tomorrow if I haven't made your life, talking about Elijah, like one of them, one of the prophets of Baal. Elijah's response, this great prophet of the Lord who's just killed 450 prophets of Baal, he runs away. He runs 116 miles south to Beersheba and then even further into the wilderness. He is emotionally, spiritually, and physically exhausted. The Common English Bible says, he longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah, the greatest prophet so zealous, he couldn't remain on this earth, but was taken up into heaven. Elijah wanted to die. Spencer and I became grandparents this week, as Jim told you. Our youngest daughter, Lizzie, and her husband, Ben, had little Elizabeth Spencer de Quattro. Little Spencer has reduced us to puddles. We hang on every squeak and smell and twitch and blink. Spencer, the little one, has no problems communicating all her needs. Hungry, squeak. Tired, squeak. Stinky, squeak, squeak. We don't know if she's been lonely yet because 
you know, she hasn't been alone. Any of you who've ever been around children or have ever been a child, remember that children clearly communicate their emotions. The little girl, when she got ready to pray this morning, clapped her hands. She was so happy to be ready to pray. But if you let some of these emotions pile up, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, you know what's going to happen. You're going to have a meltdown. Yes, you are. The emotions are hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. All of us can deal with one of those. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're lonely, you go hang out with a friend. If you're tired, you take a nap. But we can't cope with all of those at one time. You go to a grocery store at 5 o'clock any afternoon, and over the music of the carpenters and the sound system, you hear toddlers screaming and their parents losing their cool. Those are children who are hungry, angry, and tired. They may be lonely too. Maybe they've been in daycare all day long or they've been over at a friend's house and they miss mom or dad. It's time to halt. Time to address that emotional brokenness. The problem with growing up is that we think we can master those feelings. Some, some adults deal with hungry, angry, lonely, tired by participating in a thing that I've heard is called happy hour. Happy hour is where you deal with your feelings by drinking when you should be eating, hanging out with argumentative strangers when you could be with your friends, and by not going home and taking a nap when you're tired. Adults think they can master their feelings. Mr. Dawkins alludes to this common belief in Thursday's article. He says, he begins each day with prayer, scripture reading, and meditation. Well, sounds good. It gives him the mindset that he will dominate that day. Dominate? Dominate? Now, I don't know Mr. Dawkins, and this was in the sports section, so I don't know how psychologically sound it is, but that word dominate, that worries me. It worries me because Mr. Dawkins is not the only person who thinks faith in God gives us mastery or control over our problems. It worries me because I have heard well-meaning, loving people tell fellow Christians that if they just got to say just, or, you know, Jesus doesn't listen, if they just give it to God, God will fix whatever is broken with them. Cancer, divorce, depression, sexuality. Well-meaning people encourage someone to be strong for their children when they are in an abusive marriage. Well-meaning people encourage a widow to start dating so she'll be happier. This messenger from God 
who appears to Elijah, we'll, we'll call it an angel, never tells Elijah to be strong and stop feeling suicidal. Elijah sleeps. The angel touches him, feeds him, and lets him sleep some more. Then the angel wakes him up, feeds him again, and sends him on his way. But the angel never says to Elijah, Elijah, let's just pray about this. You know God loves you. You know you're the mightiest prophet ever, so you need to stop feeling the way you're feeling. The messenger tells Elijah to be obedient. Obedience is the mark of faith. Not achievement, not wealth, not success. And it's worth noting that Elijah doesn't achieve all the things that God asks him to do. God is about our obedience. But, but not for God's sake, for our sakes. It's good for us. After Elijah wakes up the second time, he heads down into the wilderness 40 days and 40, 40 nights. And, you know, that's Bible for a long time. He finds a cave on Mount Horeb, and there he spends the night. What happens next carries a whiff of incense. It is so ancient and mysterious that even as Jim read God's word to us this morning, we can still hear God's voice even if we don't understand exactly what it is God is asking us to do. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, Well, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars. They've murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one who's left, and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, Go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin, quiet, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance, and a voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Bless his heart. Elijah thinks God is asking about his job what he does, what line of work he's in. And he gives the same answer as before. I've been very passionate, etc. I'm the only one who's left, and now they want to take my life too. And that is just not true. Elijah was given shelter by other prophets. He was assisted on Mount Carmel. He was accompanied all the way to Beersheba by his servant. But when you are spiritually bankrupt, it's easy to feel alone. Sometimes 
folks don't come to church when they've had a skin cancer treated on their face because they don't want to come to church looking ugly. Sometimes folks don't come to church because they're grieving and they are afraid they might cry. Sometimes folks don't come to church because they don't know anyone here like them, anyone who has messed up as bad as they have. But I've never been anything but glad to see somebody in church with a big old bandage. You know what that means? That means you're healing. Thanks for letting us celebrate with you. And if we were to ask the choir whether they've ever seen anyone crying in the congregation after one of their beautiful anthems, they might make a joke about the frozen chosen, but then they would surely say, oh, not just the one many, many people. And if church is only for folks who've never sinned, who've never messed up, we might as well go home right now because it's not for any of us. Elijah has spent his life doing for God. He was a hard worker, a righteous man, a pillar of the synagogue, a mighty prophet, he wore himself out in the service of God's kingdom, and it is time for him to halt. God is not found by hard work or righteousness. God comes to us out of love, loving us, not because we are worthy, but because it is the nature of God to love. The passage in Galatians explains why it uses language that is very contemporary. We are made God's children through faith in Jesus, but this faith is a gift from God. It's not a mark of status. Our status as children is because of this gift, not because of anything we've done. Little Spencer de Quattro has done zero in her life, except lie there and be adorable. She basks in her mother's and father's love. What if she and all these little ones really are the model for kingdom living that Jesus tells us they are? What if we have nothing to prove to God because God has already proven God's love to us? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. It doesn't make us better people to be faithful doesn't exempt us from suffering or guarantee our happiness, but it does give us a family. This family is not like any other. It's not a family defined by nationality or status or gender. It's a family defined by our adoption in Christ. That makes all of us heirs children of Abraham. Oh, fellow heirs of Christ, 
Step into the joy of this kingdom. Take up this mantle of Christ, this robe woven of love and washed in joy. Carry the music of this day's service out into the world, for there are people out there who fear to love. They do not know that Christ loves them more than life itself. 